Good evening and welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. We're going to have Amr come up to do our joke. Let's give a... I'm Amr, I'm an alcoholic. A member was asked to speak at a new meeting and got a little carried away. After talking for nearly two hours, he finally realized that he was do- what he was doing and said... I'm sorry I talked so long. You see, I left my watch at home. An old-timer in the back of the room hollered out, There's a calendar behind you. (laughs) Before I got to AA, I didn't have a PC or a cell phone. All I had was the DTs in a jail cell. (laughs) Thank you, Amr. Uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is James. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Start the meditation. Thank you. 
welcome back. We're going to say the fog light prayer, and our projectors are down at the church today. So on the backs of the chairs, there's these little yellow cards if you want to follow along, if you don't know it. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Christiana to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Please welcome up Christiana. Hi, Christiana. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in different forms, many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop solely over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Christiana. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is also a tech-free meeting, so stay off your phones, turn them on airplane mode, whatever you need to do. Um, and we have Marion speaking tonight. We also have some friends from New Jersey in Zoom land, Jimmy, Mary Beth, and Jen. Um, welcome. Um, and I'm super excited to hear what uh, God says through Marion. Uh, God said some great things to her before that have helped me, and I can't wait to hear what comes today. So please welcome Marion. Oh, you gave him a shout out. 
and Mary Ellen is in Massachusetts and hi everyone we're in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> I'm Mary and I'm alcoholic and um, it's good to be here and good to see some you know this is cool I can just be me thank God something I've worked for my whole entire life I might not be much but I'm all I ever think about no just kidding I'm glad that's changed and that's changed in the process of the 12 steps and having a loving relationship with God and some people that keep me accountable and good AA support so my sobriety date is November 11th 1989 and this is my home group and I've got a sponsor and she's got a sponsor and sponsor some women and life is good today um so last week I kind of covered one, two, and three. And you know, anytime I do this, it's like, okay, where am I currently with this as well? I'm gonna see if I do four, five, and six tonight. I have no idea what God has planned to speak in and through me. And and I pray to always be that way. I mean, um, This journey, you know, we we're alcoholics, right? We we're, we're we're we have pride and we've got ego, and you know, Christiana was just telling me about going to a conference. I'm like, oh, I'm speaking there. I thought you were going because of me. You know, it's just these retarded. I mean, not retarded, but ridiculous ideas that I can have that um, that you know, our book talks about that. I have to be rid of, we must be rid of the selfishness. You know, I have to live this life free of resentment. I have to live this life. Um, how free do I want to be? You know, and, and um, I was in meditation earlier today. And, and what came to me is, you know, I, I'll, I'll always take a journey back when I talk on Forum 5 is my original Forum 5. Always. Because I feel like, and this was what came to me, was that <laughs> that first time through four and five set me free from the woman I was and who I was to become to be. And it was a profound experience for me. I, I, I felt the separation from the woman I was to the woman who I was going to become. And I will be forever grateful for that. So, so in this meditation today, it was like, it was the first one that set me free. And every time I do go through this work again, it keeps me free. My husband speaks a lot about, you know, how free do you want to be? I want to be free. I love the effect produced by the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous by accountability and, and prayer and meditation and inventory and all those things that, that I need to do to stay in the center of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's serious. I was explaining it to you guys last week about step three and offering myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou will relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. 
you know, take away my difficulties, have victory over them, I bear witness to those. I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. You know, on my power, my love, and my way of life is where I get it screwed up a lot of times. And, you know, I'm here on this. I'm here to play the role that God's assigned me to play. And when I get that role defined and changed and like I'm going to run in and be your mom or I'm going to run in and be your savior or I'm going to run in, I come into collision. I come into collision with God's will for my life. I come into collision with, oh, I'm the power and I've got all this or whatever that is. And, and, and this a lifelong work and this lifelong continuing is, uh, is vital to my spiritual being. It's vital, it's vital to that connection with God who keeps me free, who keeps me free and sets me free. And, I, and, and, and when we're taking this inventory and we're writing this inventory and we're going through this stuff, you know, it says a searching and fearless moral inventory. It doesn't say, you know, we're doing a moral, we're getting rid of the crud that blocks us from God. I was talking to a young man the other day that um, part of my job and he was talking about one of the roommates moved out and there was just this pile of dishes and it was there and it was there for a long time and the roommate had moved out and he goes it just stinks in there and it's this and that and oh man it sucks and he's ready to throw the dishes away who and he happens to be on step four right now and um and it's and it and and we don't know when we go into this work we don't know when we're opening ourselves up to this sponsor to this person that we're about to just get real honest with we don't know what it's just and, and and this young man works really well in metaphors i'm like okay so you don't know which one of those dishes are stinking You know, you don't know whether it's the drain. You don't know whether it's something on the plate. You don't know where it's at. And that's what this inventory is about. It's about a searching and fearless moral inventory, getting rid of stock at hand that no longer works for me. The woman I was in 19, it would be 1990 when I took this first um, fifth step. The things that used to drive me, the things that used to own me, I became free of. You know, it became about working with you. It became working with others. It became working and not being selfish and self-centered and full of fear and, and harming people and things like that. And it doesn't mean that life has gotten perfect and that it stays perfect. I'm here at 33 years to tell you I have stuff that tripped me up yesterday, you know. And, 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 and that's what this thing's about. So, um, so my first time through, I'd come out of treatment and I, I tell this story. I've told this story here. But here it is, you know, I come out of treatment and I was writing that four step and I had a sponsor. I, she had, uh, her name was Kathy Downs and she's gone to the big meeting in the sky and she was this little fireball blonde and, um, and she had came up to me at a meeting. I had a temporary sponsor. I got in treatment and 
she came up to me at a noon meeting and she goes, well, what are you doing this weekend? And I told her, well, I'm going to take the kids to the park and I'm going to cook a dinner and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And she looked at me and she goes, wow, man, maybe one of these days you'll slow down long enough to let God be in charge. And, um, and I knew she was my girl and, and I would go to her house and I was writing this four step and holding on to it for a long time. And, and Kathy had, had brain cancer. And, you know, as I told my story before, you know, I had lost a son in 1986 or 1987, that same year my mom had died and I knew nothing about letting go and grieving sober. And here I had this beautiful sponsor who would call me and say, Marion, you know, because I wouldn't call her like she's losing her hair. She's got three little kids. And she's taking time out for me. She said, don't you deny me my sobriety by not calling me. Because my problems were little problems. They weren't problems like that. And I sat on that fourth and I sat on that fourth and, and Kathy passed away and um, <clears throat> I was at this, I was at this wedding. I got to be in this wedding and, and I hadn't been going to meetings and I'm grieving about Kathy and I show up at this wedding and, um, and I'm sitting there in this reception hall and you know, our book talks about this strange mental blank spot and I'm sitting at this table and all of a sudden I had realized there was a glass of champagne in my hand and I can tell you, I have no idea how it got there. I have no idea. And our book, our book talks about it and it was a for real experience. You know, I recoiled from that thing like a hot flame and I ran out of there. And it scared the living daylights out of me. You know, there comes a time and a place. I mean, our book talks about, you know, old timers would say, if you don't do a fifth, you'll drink a fifth. And I'm a strong believer in that. That happened for me. And I moved forward and I, and I, and I did that fifth step. And my first one I did, that first one that I did, um, you know, Kathy had passed away. I'd been given this temporary sponsor. She was this six foot tall biker gal and she kind of scared the living daylights out of me and I'm like I can't give her this thing and I had been driving around with this four step under the seat of my Volkswagen and you know I'm like I'm not going to let anybody see it and I'm sure not giving it to her and uh, my little brother had said there was this man and his name was Ron Slater and he uh, he had uh <sighs> cry baby tonight <laughs> he had walked me through the when my son died and he um thanks honey and he was there by my side when my mom died he was a he was a man of god who never pushed religion on me but he was one of my heroes next to my husband and my husband's dad and my dad, Ron Slater's up there. And, um, 
you know, I was like, I got to get this off of me because I was scared I was going to drink. And I don't know about you guys, but that's scary and petrifying when it comes on you. And um, my little brother who'd been in and out and the one I told you that said, one of these days you're going to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror tells me, he says, well, why don't you do that with Ron Slater? You know, and he's gone to the big whatever a preacher does in this guy, probably sitting at Jesus is right. I don't know, whatever. And, um, and I said, yeah, that would be great. That would be great. So I give him a call and I make an appointment and he's coming to my house nine o'clock in the morning. He's going to come sit in my house. Well, back in the day, guys, there was no such thing as cell phones. And when you collected phone numbers, you sat in cafes and Denny's or wherever. And there was always these little matchbook covers with phone numbers on them or meeting lists or coasters or whatever. And I had all these phone numbers sitting on my dresser. And all of a sudden I freaked out. I'm like, I'm not telling this man my stuff. I'm not going to tell him this stuff. So he was a hero to me, you know. And... um, So that morning before he was going to get to the house, I started dialing, you know, all the AA numbers, coasters, you know, matchbooks, everything. I'm calling all these numbers. And like good alcoholics, nobody answered their phone on Friday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know. Nobody answered the phone. And he shows up at my house. And I'm going to tell you, I had written it like things I was going to take to my grave. You know, things I was so ashamed of. And as I poured through those pages and I, and, I, and I did, you know, there's so many different ways to do a fourth and fifth step today. You know, there's, there's so many formats. There's crunch monkeys. There's, you know, I mean, there's tons of different ways to do it. But the way I did it was plain and simple and four columns and boom. And that, that was it, you know. And as I sat there and I shared this with them, I just sobbed. And the greatest thing he said to me in that first process, I told a man of God, all the garbage, all the stuff. And he looked at me and he said, which was God's love to me. Were you afraid I wasn't going to love you anymore? (laughs) I said, yeah. And he said, you're free. You're free. Go take your hour. You know, write your inventory, all that stuff, you know. And um, and I met with that woman afterwards. I met with that woman. Um, I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> but I met with her afterwards. And those fifth step promises had come in true for me. You know, I was alone at, per- at perfect peace and ease. I was, uh, oh, God, I'm freaking out right now. So hold on. Um, not freaking out. Pocket our pride and go to it, illumine every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we've taken the step withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. Which is something I wanted my whole life. <laughs> Was to be able to just look the world in the eye and not look at my shoes and not look at carrying myself in shame anymore. And I can still get to that place. You know, I was, you know, raising a family. We didn't have much and I always felt less than. And that's still always a little piece of me, (laughs) you know. 
We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared often comes strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever done a good, sorry about my nose. I would blow it, but it's going to be really noisy. (laughs) Um, When I met that woman afterwards and after I'd taken my quiet hour and I went to that restaurant and I'll remember the rest of my life, Cornwall Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, I walked in there with this woman and I could literally feel the physical separation from the woman who I was and the woman I was going to become. And, you know, oftentimes we can go ahead and read those promises of the the fifth step all the time. And, and, you know, there's promises that go with four too. There's promises that go with every step, but I was really moved today to write down some of these things. And these are the things I needed to be free from. And I wrote them down today. So. Here's what comes with four. And if you want to follow along with your big book, if anybody's got it, this is um, page 64. It says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we start, to, we start to straighten out mentally and physically. Page 67 says this, we cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kind and tolerant view of of each and every one. Now, I can tell you this, that, you know, there was another time through the steps and it's, it's a sensitive, sensitive area for me to talk about, but I really felt moved to, to talk about this a little bit tonight. Um, I was... I had moved along, I don't even know how many times through the steps up to this point, but at 14 years sober, I was living in a, um, in a very alcoholic, abusive home, and um, I became real churchy. I became very spiritual, prideful, and I'm doing my churchy thing, and I'm going to UAAs and telling you about, you know, the God of my understanding, and all the while, I'm going home, and it's... It's, it's fear, terror, bewilderment. It's all those things going on in my home. And, and, and a husband who had not got this thing that just got more violent and violent and violent. And, um, and so in 2015, I, I, I through good outside help, like our book talks about, I was able to move through and get out of there. But there was still this... Man, I was full of so much resentment and I was full of so much anger of everything that had happened. And I won't go into any of those details. I won't say any of that stuff from here. But I can tell you that I had, you know, I had our, you know, our big book talks about justifiable anger being the dubious luxury of normal people. And even in our 12 and 12, it, it talked self-righteous anger. I had this self-righteous anger and, you know, I'd go to my work and I had a restraining order and he couldn't come to my work and I had a, he couldn't come to my AA meeting. He couldn't come to these different places I was and, and I had people on my side. I had a cause. I had, I was angry and, and, you know, and, and I, and I was, I just felt justified for all of that. 
But what happened for me is I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker inside. And I remember one day I got to an AA meeting and I had this friend Jack Wright, big meeting in the sky. Always got to give him the shout outs, right? And I sat next to him. And he told me, and this is such a part of forgiveness. I mean, there's so many people that talk about our, our, this is about forgiveness and amends and forgiveness and amends. And it's like that all the time. But I walked into that meeting and I sat down next to Jack and I, that's a really nice way to say it. But what I really did is I just fell on the bench. And I said this because this is what happens. I got to forgive him or I'm going to die because it was on me and I was sick. And in and through that place, I was introduced at that time to the sick man's prayer. And I love the sick man's prayer. It's on the bottom of 66 and, and the top of 67. And this is where that promise we cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of them. Two prayers. I'm going to say them. I'm old school and I wanted my big, big book instead of the little one because I needed all the pages tonight. But it says this. This was our course. We realized the people who had wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. And, and until I could look at that, I'm telling you, it saved me. It saved me that perhaps spiritually sick, sick, though we don't like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. Sick just like me. If I'm holding on to that resentment, I'm sick and I'm dying. And this is the stuff that separates me from God. They, like ourselves, were sick too. We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When I, I'm, I'm telling you, when it didn't become bad man, when it didn't become abuser, when it didn't become mean, angry, Dopeine, whatever, when it didn't become all that and it became he was spiritually sick. Ah, Just like me. And I was kind of ticked off by that at first. (laughs) I was like, what do you mean like me? Well, if anger is a dubious luxury of normal people, if resentment's my number one offender, if that has the power to kill me, I'm pretty sick holding on to that stuff. But see, I'm a firm forgiver. I I can tell you, this is what I believe, and this is my opinion, and this is what happened for me, and this is where I share my opinion. No more can I take a sober breath. No more can I claim sobriety for myself. No more can I claim release from character defects. Is I can claim that I forgave somebody. I, I believe in my heart of hearts. And every time I've walked this stuff through. I am granted forgiveness. I'm granted forgiveness. For, for anyone that harms me. I really believe that. 
And I can choose to do it, but there's some footwork that has to go with that. The sick man prayer is a tool that helps that. And I'm going to give you another one. So when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. And I often think of it this way. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. Think about it. You go to a hospital. Somebody's in ICU. They're on an oxygen. They got tubes all over them. You're not going to run in there and go, hey, you want to go to CrossFit today? You know, it's like this sick person, whoever this person is or whatever that has offended us, it's like when we know better, we do better. They're, they're sick and we cheerfully grant a sick friend. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We, uh, this, is your, this is a little caveat or whatever. Here's your little, we cannot be helpful to all people. So it's not my job to help. My job is to pray. But at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. And I want to give you this other one too. And then I'm going to move through the rest of those four-step promises. Because nobody knows. I don't think everybody knows the four-step promises. But if you do, oh well. That's good too. Okay, on page 552 in the big, big book. In the big book. The, the thick one. 552. And I love this prayer. And these are the two prayers that my sponsor took me to. And I love this prayer because what happened with this is it said, it says this, he said, in effect, if you have a resentment, you want to be free of, if you will pray for that person or that thing you resent, you will be free. And so when I was first asked to pray that you're going to need to start praying, I was like, no way. (laughs) I can't do that. Why? Why would I want to do that? So what I had to do first was I had to pray for the willingness to pray because I didn't even have the willingness to pray and I had to pray and I'm going to pray and I prayed, but I prayed for the willingness first and then the willingness came and it was like, God, I'm not even willing to pray for this person. I need to become willing to pray. And then I became willing to pray. Um, it says this, if you will pray for, for the person, and this is in, in a chapter called Freedom from Bondage, and the whole chapter is amazing. If we're, how free do I want to be? If I'm in bondage, bondage of self, bondage of fear, bondage of resentment. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. And I was ticked when I got to this line, and I'm going and praying every day for two weeks. Everything I want for myself to be given. And I was like, oh, great. Now he's going to get this amazing life because I'm praying for him. And that was just my ego again, just saying, okay, like I'm that powerful that God's going to do that, you know? Um, Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them. Yes, another caveat, right? Whatever. (laughs) I didn't want it. Just being honest at that time. Even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it 
and to want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness, resentment, and hatred, you will now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. And as I prayed it, and I prayed it, and I walked it out, and I prayed it, and I prayed it, and I prayed it. There was one day, I'm driving down the highway, and I'm doing this prayer. And I felt nothing. (laughs) I felt like I was in this place that where I was a place of neutrality, safe and protected. And you know what? I do wish compassion for him. I do wish good things for him in his life. I do wish all those things. And many of us have had horrible offenses. But the the deal is, is I had to be free of that resentment that was killing me. On the lighter side, no. (laughs) Sorry, it's heavy. Okay. So just the, okay, so this is page 68. Another four-step, things that we're set free from, right? Just to the extent we do what we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? To match calamity with serenity. I mean, who didn't have a bunch of calamity in their life, right? Um, page 68 says this, We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once we begin to outgrow fear. And that's part of our fear inventory, right? To outgrow fear. When I'm afraid. See, fear is masked by a whole lot of different things. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, you know, quote my husband for another second. You know, he says, you just take an inventory and you spill it all out. And underneath all of it is the word fear. You know, what am I afraid of? I had these, I've had these things in my life where I, I saw, you know, when I moved, it's going to be real vulnerable. I moved to South Florida, you know, I, I was so insecure, still insecure, insecure, and I always thought that, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my husband. He's going to think somebody else is more beautiful than me or da 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 and, 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 and really what it boiled down to, I was full of 100, I had 100 forms of fear. But I love what this says in here. It says we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. My sponsor says this. If you weren't feeling that fear right now, what would you be feeling? She'll take me right to that. If you weren't feeling that right now, what would you be feeling? This is page 69. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. This is under our sex inventory, okay? Right? Sex inventory has to do with not only all that, uh, all the messy stuff. It also has to do with my relationships with women and my relationships with men and my relationships with friendships. Where am I dishonest? Where am I um, selfish in my motives? What am, where, what am I doing in all my relationships in my life? And it says this too. This is page 70. If we're sorry for what we've done and have an honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. I hope these are fun to hear. Um, <laughs> page 70 also says this. We've begun to comprehend 
these resentments, their futility and their fatality. Our futility and fatality. I mean, fatal. I mean, this is a life and death errand that we're on to uncover, discover, discard these things that are blocking us from this God who's the only one that's going to keep me sober in the first place. We've, we've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, as we look on them as sick people. And sick doesn't mean look your nose down and go, oh, they're a sick, you know. But that they're a sick person. That they're a sick person. We hope you are now, um, and here's the last one. <laughs> we hope you are now convinced that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. Because that's the ultimate goal, is this connection to God. So what happens... So I'll talk about six for a second. Um, We're entirely ready to have God move all these defects of character. I was coming to Alcoholics and God and my sponsor lives up in Jacksonville and I was kind of caught up in a lot of, of stuff and, and I, and, and, and we had had our alcoholics and God stuff going on here. And there was a bunch of us, you know, putting the special tape and the, and the special markers on pages and things like that. And, and, and this was my home group and I wanted to be a part of that. So I wanted to experience going through the steps with someone from here and God had provided the opportunity for me to sit down with, with our Mike Chase back there. And, um, And this was my fun version of step six when Mike had taken me through the steps and, and we get to step six and I'm like, God, I don't know, maybe 28, 29, 30 years sober at the time Mike takes me through this. I can't 30 maybe. And, um, and he comes up with my, um, my list of my character defects at the end of it. And he had given me. My greatest of all time, 33 character defects. (laughs) And I was completely insulted. (laughs) He's really good at this stuff. Uh, But the deal was, it was like, oh my God, like my pride didn't want me to see that. My pride didn't want me to look at that. It's like, oh my God. How could it be? I mean, I even call my husband in the room. He's like, what's wrong? And it's like, I got 33 character defects, man. How am I going to get free of this stuff? But it's like when we take things and we break it down and, you know, fear means jealousy. Fear means envy. Fear means, you know, there's a hundred, a hundred forms of fear when we break that down in that category to take a look at that stuff, right? So anyway, that's my lighthearted Mike Chase moment. Um, So I'm going to go back to um, let's see one moment. I want to go to fear for a minute. So So notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, 
the employer and the wife, this short word somehow touched about every aspect of our life. It was the evil and corroding threat. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? And look at in these ways that I can react to anything. That the undercurrent and the underplace in this, in this, if I wasn't feeling this fear, what would I be feeling like my sponsor talks about? And the reality of it is this, is we're all a bunch of chicken poops. You know, we all are in so many ways. If my trust and reliance on God isn't on God, then I'm afraid in any situation. And the only thing that can overcome that for me in my walk is my walk with God. And where am I trusting God? And where am I letting go with God? I had, you know, some financial fear that hit me a few days ago. And it just locked me in. And it was like, wait a minute. I work for God. God's my employer. He's the one who's going to provide for me. I put my trust and reliance on this old employer. And that wasn't where, why would I trust that? When God has set me free from that stuff and God continues to set me free from, from any of those fears. Um, where did we set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more troubles. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we didn't have a resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it makes us cocky, it was worse. And any time I try to rely on my own understanding of this word fear, here's the deal. You know, I don't have the strength I used to have when it comes to conquering this stuff. Like self-reliance when you're in your 20s or in your 30s or maybe even in your 40s a little easier than when you get to be, you know, past 50 like I am. You know, that self-reliance gets harder and harder and harder. You know what I mean? And, and, and we see why we're making a heavy going of life. And anytime I'm trusting on my own self-reliance in anything in my life i'm gonna be in a place of fear so okay i'm gonna do one more thing and then i'm gonna end this so perhaps there's a better way we think so for we are now on a different basis the basis of trusting and relying upon god we trust trust and this is the reality the word trust we trust infinite god rather than finite self there's a book that's out there that i absolutely absolutely i love it so much um and it's called the purpose-driven life and it talks about in our relationship with god that's the greatest way the greatest way to please this god of my understanding is of all, all, whatever your understanding is, to put that trust in it. To do, you know, um, I made, the, made up this thing for, for faith. You know how, like, you, fear is face everything and recover 
F everything and run. I made one up. I made one up for faith. And it's this. Falling and I trust him. See, I don't know what's tomorrow has to hold. I, I know I'm going to the Floridian tonight afterwards and I don't know what I'm going to order. You know, or, you know, I don't know what's around the corner. But I know that if I put my trust and reliance on God, that's, that's the greatest thing we can do to please God. It actually says in this book about that's what God wants us to do is just trust him. You know, and, um, and what makes me think the way I make things up or the way I do things that I plan anything, my small plans, my small designs are going to turn out better than this God of the universe has planned for me. Like, I am from Bellingham, Washington, right, Tiffany? Yes, homegirl. Birkenstocks and socks, she wears them. <laughs> Probably got them on right now. She does. I love it. You know, it's like, I, um, I have a big life. I have a beautiful life. I have a God that that saw fit to bring a man from Brooklyn to Bellingham to swoop me up. And here I sit in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That wasn't in my plans or my design for my life. I would have driven a Volkswagen bug and lived in a motorhome. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know what God. But I'm telling you, like, his plans and his designs for my life. Is I want to be awakened. I want to be aware of that. I want to trust him. I want to fall. Falling in, I trust him. I want to live in that place. And that's what faith is to me. You know, it's like, it's like this. You know, they used to say this, that, you know, like us alcoholics aren't really good at letting go. We got to have something else to grab onto. And one of my favorite paragraphs in the book says this too, which was once, what was once a flimsy read. Gonna balk it, botch it, is the powerful hand of God. Powerful hand of God. And every time, you know, he saves me and he saves me and he saves me and he saves me. Day in and day out. He saves me from me. <laughs> and that's really what it is. The bondage of this self. My little plans. My little designs. And I'm grateful for that. So I'm still going to finish this. Okay. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We're in this world to play the role he assigns. Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for depending on our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. Courage. 
doing that first four and five takes courage. I'm going to let somebody know the deepest, darkest, most horrible things in my life. And that's what this thing is about over and over again is putting one foot in front of the other and just having the courage to do another day. You know, I mean, it does. Men of faith takes courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We, and we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. And that is the fear prayer. So I'm going to end on that note. And um, love you guys. Thanks for having me. I think I'm going to be okay. okay. I think my husband's going to grab me. Maybe. I don't know. Can you grab him? Let's give Marion another round of applause. Uh, we're going to have David come up and do the secretary's report. Give a hand for David. Hi, my name is David, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, uh, the baskets are now going around. Uh, we have QR codes on the back of some of the chairs uh, where the fog light prayers are as well, if you'd like to contribute through Venmo, and those of you who are joining us um, via video, you can also contribute. Um, and I have asked Matt to come up and read the recovered statement. My name is Matt, and I am an alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will, will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks, Matt. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what exactly it means to be a recovered alcoholic. 1940 Big Book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Is there anyone in the room who needs a sponsor? Okay, um, if you're too shy to raise your hand, um, please, uh, you can come up to the front of the room at the end of the meeting and um, uh, stand around and uh, we will get somebody to speak with you. 
Um, can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Okay, we like to suggest that if your hand isn't raised, that you make an effort to hang out with some people whose hands are. It says screen announcements, but there are no screens, so we're just going to read it. Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. It's also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. You can find them online easily enough. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing uh, meetings into places where people like us uh, can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. Uh, they meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Uh, do we have any members of BCIC uh, present tonight? Uh, they meet the second Monday of every month, uh, I'm sorry, the second Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. And of course, um, if you're interested in getting more familiar with the big book, uh, this same group does a big book study on Monday uh, at the same time, 7.15, um, on the third floor of this building, and we'd love to have you come and, uh, and study the big book with us. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Uh, we have tonight's session and all other past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. There's also QR codes in the back if you want to scan it to go to the podcast app. Um, I'd like to invite everyone again to our Monday night big book study. And to those who would like to thank Marion, please line up down the center aisle. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer seated. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, we'll see you next week or on Monday. Enjoy your night. Hey, hey. Thirsty bodies aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. Yeah, and I am ready for you to take me higher. Yeah, the only thing that I can do.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Just about to stop. 
God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Thank you very much for a second.